Okay. I'm gonna pose a question to you. Okay. <laughs> it's not a question, it's a statement. The anticipation is killing me. <laughs> the gravest danger to American democracy isn't an excess of vitriol. It's the false promise of civility. And what the article was about... Do you need me to repeat it Whoa. to you? Yeah, no, say that again. The gravest danger to American democracy isn't an excess of vitriol. It's the false promise of civility. Um, wow. And it's about, most of the article is historic. It's about looking back at Reconstruction um, when there were little riots outside of polling places anytime a black person tried walking in. And it, um, the article stemmed from when Joe Biden, at, I think it was the very first debate, made a comment about how he was willing to compromise to get stuff done with uh, James Eastland, who was a senator from Mississippi, open segregation. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And um, Well, I don't remember when that happened, but I remember there being a lot of buzz about that. At least there was some civility. We got things done. We didn't agree on much of anything. We got things done. We got it finished. But today, you look at the other side, and you're the enemy. Not the opposition, the enemy. We don't talk to each other anymore. That's what Joe Biden said about James Eastland. And one of the, the big calls, or one of the big messages with Joe Biden's presidency is this call to just bring things back to normal, get things civil again, that we're not Republicans and Democrats, we're... And the basis of the article is that that was never the case. That overall, political violence is down. When people threaten civil war, when we talk about the Second Amendment, what are the chances that actually happens? That is the point of this. Um, is is this call for civility, and I, I, I'm going to let you answer, I promise, but um, actually start there. Well, I, there's clearly a difference in terms of our political figures that we can observe from not, you know, not 100 years ago, but just in the past 50 years, the difference between Bush and Bush Jr. and um, Barack Obama certainly is like from now, like today, the president and how he interacts with the public and how he interacts with his administration. I mean, that seems to be a departure from the status quo, but I, I will grant you that in terms of overall how we interact with each other, I would say that our civility is is better than it's ever been. Um, It's almost like we talk a big talk online in the media. They love acting, and I'm not saying we're not polarized. We are incredibly polarized. Yes. But it's, in my opinion, it's mostly civil well and a lot of that polarization is that is older people on social media yeah. too uh people always assume that it's these young college students mm -hmm. who are you know antifa or whatever but no i mean all you see all day is boomers going at it on yeah. facebook all caps weird grammar just and that's where you get all that that weird MAGA Twitter with like the you know eagle banner and <laughs> all that stuff. I mean that that is an older crowd. Yeah, it's these hillbillies who the extent of their Facebook use might be, I mean their internet use might be logging into Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason I brought it up, the part that really hit me in the article was further down. It it brought up Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, letter from Birmingham Jail, in. 
I want to find the quote, but if I can, it's not the end of the world. It was about the um, white moderate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense of that they are the most dangerous because, oh, here it is. He famously lamented the quote-unquote white moderate who quote-unquote prefers a negative piece, which is the obscene uh, absence of tension, to a positive piece, which is the presence of justice. And it's almost like they want to go back to a time when all the white people got along. Like, is that the call for civility? Well, I think that quote is uh, super important because it the like being complicit in, during history it, it wasn't the people who are out there uh you know doing horrible racist shit that ended up preventing that change it was the mass majority of people who didn't didn't want a part of it yeah. they just put their hands up and said look i'm not getting involved with this even though it's a clear injustice that's being done. And it, it makes you think, too, because it's important to always scrutinize the society we're living in, our government, and ourselves. Yeah. What are we doing right now that we're going to look back on and say, what, what have we been complicit in? And I think that might be a good segue into our discussion of China that you wanted to talk about. But, uh, but I think it's, I mean, you see it happening all over the world. Yeah, I agree. Um. But isn't it still happening just as much today in terms of, I think of the average middle class, maybe upper middle class white guy, uh, wakes up, pours a cup of coffee, sitting down, reading the newspaper, watching the news. He can't be sold on this anymore. But that doesn't mean he agrees with impeachment either, or doesn't mean he agrees agreed a year ago when AOC and all these people of color he probably doesn't even vote that too he might not vote but I just I just mean he's complicit Eddie like maybe but if that, we're lucky he's gonna go to the ballot in 2020 and not vote for Trump but vote Republican down the rest of the ticket like but I think I think the establishment is forcing complacency because um uh, they're forcing, they're enforcing complacency among people by suppressing their votes and making it so that they don't feel like their vote counts. And I, I mean, we've we've gone through the whole gerrymandering topic before, so we shouldn't linger on it too much. But that certainly, I think, factors into psychologically how we approach the system. Yeah. Um. I still like. It's almost like it comes back to that question of, like, make America great again. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be cliche here, but, like, genuinely. Yeah. What are they asking for? What What is their vision? Um, we've talked about this before, the, like, the lack of an agenda on that side. But I even mean, like, when he sells them on make America great again, like, what is the image they've painted in their head of that? What does it look like? It certainly doesn't look like our representative bodies being as diverse as they've become. They view diversity, or voices of, of people of color as hostile. Yes, I mean, that's absolutely true. But it, it for a lot of MAGA bros, it might not even go even that deep. It might just be a, so much as we worship this guy. This is the guy who we 
uh, think of as successful, rich, and powerful, and we just look up to him, and whatever he says goes. And then you get into the, like the pe- I, I would say the people who are more involved politically and just have a have a more uh, you, you know they they they're more attentive to politics in general are probably the ones who are drawn to him for some of the things he's said about immigration and the things he's doing with immigration and all of that and that also promotes hyper nationalistic uh, you know I would venture to say white nationalist. Yeah. Uh, policies and that I mean there's definitely gradation there in terms of the appeal of that but yeah it just really depends on how how much they're actually paying attention to what's going on in the country they don't need a vision because they trust that he has one yes that's scary and that's why every time he flips they just they just jump on board and they, they acquire all the arguments. They're like, boom, boom, boom. And they're on Twitter, you know, uh, shouting people down on his behalf, only to have to change yeah. their opinion the next week yeah. or the next day. But it's shameless. Absolutely. I mean, it's shameless on Trump's part, too, because if you go through his Twitter, you can find every political ideology, every worldview imaginable yeah. that he's had at one point in his life. And he doesn't care to delete it. He, yeah. it. To him, it makes no difference. All of those things are a mere convenience for him. And that's why it's so scary that he's president. Because to him, principles are a plaything that's used to get out of whatever situation you happen to be in or get whatever you want. That's why like, I don't see where we go from here because we're not sitting down at a negotiating table with these people like what can we slide across the table that is enough to get you to come to our side they're not at the table with us they're just not like they are so do you think when when i guess maybe when people say that civility is dead so i think people want compromise more and they want to see less gridlock in government but again but that's not something we had it's just not. Yeah. When we had that, that's what this article's arguing, is that when we had that, it's because it was white moderates at the table compromising. Mm. Right? Wasn't it? I mean, yeah, I guess. Tip O'Neill and Reagan, like, yeah, mm. that story of all those guys who used to go, uh, Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy, like, yeah, they used to go and drink bourbon together. But and I they think- were joking about black people there. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean that's the, that's a systemic problem. I mean, I mean that has a lot to do with how we elect our representatives, mm-hmm. and you know, there's got to be a better way. Oh no! Hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for you, I've come up. No, but it's. I mean that's what our system was made to do was to promote moderation and compromise and basically designed so that no one would ever really get what they wanted and that to to see that arise as a uh side effect of that is it, it i think it really points to a systemic 
miscalculation on the founding fathers part yeah uh, because they couldn't have foreseen a country in which women could vote let alone black people um it was designed for the the white moderate exactly <laughs> exactly yeah um okay like simple demographics data the democratic electorate is more educated um yep are we too educated to replicate this because there is a side of the left uh, you especially see them in bernie bros um even some of biden's people no i'm saying like you just see oh, their kids uneducated bernie bros <laughs> you see it with, no 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 i'm no, not no, even no, saying no, uneducated more, i'm saying no, no, worship like that is where the populism lies like the but those are more policy based. No, but there's blind populism on that side too. There is. And Eddie, it's policy based sometimes just to the same extent as the Trump people were in 2016. The wall, like well, Bernie has his version. Yeah. It's yeah. not as problematic. Medicare for all. Yeah, like that's, that's what I'm it. saying. And or like, or free college, like and whatever. Those people. Bernie could change on something else, and it doesn't matter because they're just sold on Bernie. And that's what it comes down to with Trump. Like, they are sold on the candidate and the candidate alone and everything the candidates, like, like their vision, not their policies. Is the Democratic electorate too educated to have the same populism effect in this, in this generation, in this well, era? Just, just because Democrats capture the educated vote, I don't see why they can't translate that into a message that will appeal to the uneducated vote. It's it's a matter of how you sell it. That's not what I'm saying, though. I'm just saying, like, enough of our party supporting someone who is as bad as him. Like, let's say Bernie was as problematic as Trump. Yeah. Is there enough of our party that is susceptible to be victim to that? Like I'm saying, is he oh, to like replicable to, in the Democratic Party? So everyone else gets captured, like the same way the Republican Party has. Mm -hmm. And guys like you oh, and me are just sitting there, like knowing it's problematic, but sitting on our asses while it happens. So you, so you think educate the more educated you are, the less likely you are to be complacent in something like this. Yes. I'm not saying that only uneducated people do. Yeah. Or that all educated people do. Because I think I would say don't. a lot of, a I lot of big businesses are like they don't. They're praising him yeah. and, you know, go, but uh, just but that's not, that out of is pragmatic. policy based. That like yes. So like. But they're willing to turn a blind eye to all of his other yes. horrific, tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, like so that's what I'm saying. Like it's and it's almost like no offense to Joe. I think he was kind of betting on it. He also needed, like, an educated moderate crowd. But, like, Bernie's activists are, I mean, Biden, did I just say Bernie or Biden? Biden's activists don't care. It doesn't matter what you say about Biden. Like, I got in a fight with one about marijuana policy. And, like, it didn't matter even if she was like tripping over herself trying to defend him but that exists with uh, every candidate has a core that will defend them to the end that's true and that's just a phenomenon I mean, there's people who do that for andrew yang tulsi gabbard are oh, you yeah. kidding me they 
I mean, they will go on and on. So that's what I'm saying, though. If you were to aggregate all of those people behind a nominee, is there enough of them to sustain a Democratic Trump? I don't think there is. That's the only point I'm trying to get at here. I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and hell, we all said Trump wasn't going to win, so we didn't think there was enough of a Republican Party to sustain it. Yeah, I mean, you, you never know. And I think that these things arise situationally. I mean, a lot of these communities that went for Trump, within each of those communities, even if you only expect like a small fraction to become the really loyal supporters, um, if you're appealing to issues that are in that area, then those are the people who are going to be captured by it. So, I mean, if, if we have uh, some weird, maybe like ecological extremist like i don't know like some environmental extremist i don't know <laughs> the seeker jns like. <laughs> <laughs> and is just like totally brash and like like says awful things and um this, this guy sounds kind of awesome right now yeah, actually does. like i'm, I'm kind of loving think this we candidate need that for climate change yeah <laughs> all right well i guess there is enough people who will be convinced because i'm already convinced <laughs> that's nuts but, no, I mean, it, it really do, does depend on the issue, I think. Because you can see a lot of people who you could see becoming obsessed with AI or something like that. And then suddenly, n no new information will ever change their minds that AI is the most important thing. A and it might well be, and I think it probably is. But, like, th those are the kind of groups that I see forming on yeah. the left. Man, I was in that class tonight, and these people... I think America is so digitally naive. I'm not trying to get into a long AI conversation, but would you agree that America as a country overall is digitally naive? Well, I... Yeah. And data naive. Well, certainly that. And that's that's been such a good thing for all the companies collecting it. Mm -hmm. Just people's lack of knowledge about what's actually happening. Well, but I even mean our, our, our tendency to doubt data. Like, you could have, especially climate change is a good example, but something less polarizing. Oh, you're talking about, like, studies and stuff. But I even mean, like, data in terms of, like, the government collecting yeah. more data on people. Yeah. And using it. So, like, for example, like, if we were to move to, like, Estonia we were talking about before the podcast, like, they have an e-government. The government has healthcare data on you. They have voting data on you. Like, all of that stuff is done digitally. And, like, if it is proven, I just, I have a problem when we don't take human knowledge. Like, when, hmm, when we're not willing to change archaic traditions, even if data suggests or innovation allows for major advancement. And we were talking in this class tonight about voting. And every problem people brought up, it's, it's problems that have equivalent with paper ballots. But, like, these people, like... And they're worse with paper ballots. But, like, these people would rather stick with the broken traditional system than the one that is better but still has problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest voting block are obviously, again, boomers, older people. Yeah. Uh, who just don't understand this shit, you know. I mean, there are, there, there, are, there are people who do, of course. I don't want to generalize. But... Yikes! We should check. We should check our age analytics. Analytics. 
Somehow I'm going to phonetically spell that as the title of the episode. Analytics. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway. What the hell were we even talking about? AI. And old people. And the biggest oh, electorate. Geez, that sounds scary. <laughs> um, yeah, but, okay, like, it, it. that's what my professor said. He was like... He was like, um... Old people control the electorate right now, and they don't want digital voting, no matter how much data suggests that it's a better idea. Yep. And that's just the case in so many things. Climate change. If you were to ask people under 60 what we should do about climate change, they'd support most common sense measures. Okay, but to be fair, how much shit did they grow up learning that was debunked when they were in their, <laughs> in their adult life? <laughs> like, they probably grew up learning that, like, you know... I don't know. But I just have a problem with... Do we need to cut off old people's right to vote at some point? <laughs> You're just too out of the times. We IQ test No, people. I think it's important that we capture all age groups because... Oh, my God. Well, yeah, but... Okay, I just... <laughs> No, fuck the boomers. You don't get to vote. You get thrown in prison if you're over age 60. I just wish if we had universal voter registration and e-voting, young people would be the biggest electorate, much bigger than old people, and everything would be better. Yes. (laughs) And then lower the voting age to three. 16 is a reasonable age. What? You don't think so? 16. Do you remember how you were at 16? I knew a lot more about politics than most people. Well, yeah, me too, and I'm still glad I wasn't able to vote. Why? I don't know. Why would you, like, f- like forfeit that I think, liberty? I think eight... It's not forfeiting a liberty to have eight... You have to be an adult to vote. That's stupid. I'm 16. You gotta I've be able to pay taxes, bro. Oh, my God. Social contract. 16-year-olds pay some taxes, don't they? They just don't do, like, withholding. They pay sales tax. That, well, that's true. They pay all sorts of taxes. All right. Whatever. Can 16-year-olds vote? No, I don't think so. I'm going to get it out of here. I, I think that's so stupid, dude. Honestly. I mean, that is way too young. You're stupid. What? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine me at age 16, bro. <laughs> I don't think I would have liked 16-year-old Eddie. You wouldn't have wanted him to vote. I wanted 16-year-old Lucas to vote. Yeah, well, that's just you being a, you know. Do you want other 16-year-olds to vote, though? I mean, think about the people Eddie, in your the class. the people who will go vote are the more educated people. That's not necessarily true. Yes, if you have is. universal voter registration. They still have to show up. Okay, how, but it doesn't take a genius to show up. But it's generally people who are more involved in politics. Like then how they, did Trump get elected? I don't know. No, I'm not saying more like more educated people vote. Like I'm saying that people who have political opinions and have it developed some sort of like political socializ- socialization, like they're gonna go in there and vote with their parents, tell them or their values. But that's just their parents getting a second vote. Okay, but the eighteen year olds it's probably very often their parents yeah, we should probably high, raise it to 21 25 if i can <laughs> but i'm taking away anyone over 62 if i can't have, if right I can't have a drink i don't want to vote oh my god 
Alright, well, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. So before we were talking about nationalism in Europe yeah. and how overt the far right is about their ethno-populism. Yeah. And they're not afraid to associate their political ideology with European identity. Yeah. And that, in our system, seems radioactive. Like, no one wants to be associated with that. However, they're employing those same appeals through more, uh, less overt ways. Yeah. Remember the caravan? We, I think we talked about it on a recent yeah. episode. We did. Um, and we've, I think we've touched on this several times in recent episodes, this like weaponization of the issue of immigration. And and during the break we talked about it and and what did I say? It's the it's the most systematic and overt way of oppressing people of color. Like it is the easiest method to attack people of color. Without it has the least political blowback. Well, I, I would I would take it a step further and say that it is the most it, it is the most powerful way to promote white identity without overtly talking about that and that's why it appeals to the Steve Bannons the Stephen Millers um, and a lot of Trump supporters because they resonate with uh, what Richard Spencer would call white identitarianism. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um. Yeah. No. It's 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 crazy to me because like when we talk about like a merit based system, that seems to be one of the uh most mainstream like immigration reforms is making it a more merit based system. Merit according to what? Yep, exactly. Merit according to European and like Western uh, education skills standards. standards. Yeah. Like they, oh my gosh, it's so overt. But for some I mean, reason, it's I mean, mainstream and. Trump even takes it a step further. I mean, his his shithole countries comment. Yeah. I mean, he really does despise these countries that uh, we receive immigrants from. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mexico is the biggest scapegoat right now for everything. Yeah. Blame the opioid epidemic. Blame the loss of jobs, automation. Blame all of our economic woes. Everything can be attributed to illegal immigration it's total bullshit but that's what he pins it all on and then that's when you get the one policy wall idea and like that wall represents a lot more than just a structure on the southern border that's an identity movement and it's scary 
How do we get there? Like, we've we, always been there. Have we? Yeah, I mean, there's always okay. been a par- a party that has a in America. There's always been an appeal to white identity, and I mean, obviously during fucking Reconstruction and you know post slavery, it was more overt appeals but like and today it's just it seems like it's just more subtle is that idea that like white america american values are the only right values is that like what nationalism boils wait but is is that what nationalism boils down to is that the view well i mean that yeah that's a complicated question because it it really boils down to like can't is is national identity necessary necessarily like ethnic i don't think it is like i think america has proven that it's not but that's but isn't the bulk of it though white that's why i'm saying white american because like it's both american values and almost like a touch of white supremacy well that yeah that's been the appeal and it's been hidden behind these these universal values that have been espoused but i mean it was built on the backs of slaves and it's been built to prop up white supremacy and i mean just think of like think of the conversations that you hear like well what is someone saying when they're when they're saying i want to see more policing more people getting locked up like if they i mean tough on crime tough on crime i mean what's what's really being said there i mean is this person actively observing crime in their own community and or or, i mean what's what's really going on in their head when they respond to that appeal and the same thing with immigration all of these things i and i think it's important to really scrutinize like where where these people are coming from and what kind of connection or lack thereof it has to reality because oftentimes it just doesn't even doesn't even fit reality i mean the immigration the illegal immigration is not the cause of any of these problems what is andrew yang (laughs) (laughs) well no it's true oh that's that's where i mean we're going through economic transformation and people don't know how to respond to that, how to respond to that they want a solution that um and turn back the clock in the last section i i talked about like how digitally naive we are or data naive like in terms of like we choose to ignore data um isn't that the case with immigration like especially when it comes to immigrants are committing crimes they're raping people they're murdering people like very easy to find statistics say otherwise yeah so why are republicans able to run on that message that was the message in 2018 and they pay taxes i know that seems like a freaking lifetime ago but the 2018 midterms that is what they ran on yeah no and 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 like i just said uh undocumented immigrants pay taxes all a sorts lot. of taxes. <laughs> a lot. There's only like one they don't pay. And, and, and it's income tax. And it's taxes from which a lot of the things they will never benefit from so long as they're undocumented. Mm-hmm. 
So they're actually they're they're for what they're getting out of it, they're paying more into the system. Yeah. And but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I don't think data plays into this because it's not about that. And I think that's I think that's important. When when the facts don't influence or the data or the science, if those don't sway your opinion one way or the other, then chances are you're being ideological. I mean, think about the climate change debate. There is overwhelming evidence that it's happening. The reason why people are clutching, you know, onto uh, denial is for ideological, religious reasons, typically. I don't want to believe that, like... And then obviously the oil lobby. Mainstream, mainstream conservatism. Immigration is a popular issue with them. Why... I I don't want to believe that that much of the country still has racist intuition. Well, no, I'm not saying that every person who's concerned about immigration is racist. But I don't are, think are, is that part of the party who doesn't believe who doesn't have racist values? Are they just blindly following? I, the I leader? think it's possible to be convinced of ideas okay. without knowing their underpinnings. Okay. So, like, there are arguments. There are arguments about illegal immigration and the, and the merits of it or against it or more strict immigration. I mean, there, there's a there's a continuum of views there that have nothing to do with the race of the people coming over. But I, I think the appeals in the Trump circles have been more overtly appealing to white identity politics. Yeah. So it's like when a guy like John McCain ran on immigration reform, um... You know, there may have been guys like Stephen Miller in the background wanting it for other reasons, but, like, that part of the party may have been running on it. And it may have been such a popular idea with people because they were genuinely convinced of the so-called economic reasons. Right. The crime statistics, blah, blah, blah. So they... I don't want to say they were in it for the right reasons, but they weren't in it for the wrong reasons. They weren't in it for the racism. Yeah, well, and, and obviously it's it's always hard to tell people's intentions, and that's why like it's always hard to have a conversation. But what what is it is easy to tell someone's intentions when they're telling you what their intentions mm -hmm. are, and I think Trump has done that, and his his ilk has done that, mm -hmm. his administration has done that. Just the people he surrounds himself with tells you everything you need to know about where he's getting his ideological foundations from. Why isn't more of the party willing to call him out on it then? Like, why don't they say he's wrong? We're doing this because blah, blah, blah. I guess because they see, well, either this or have, cynically, do they believe it too? because it's working, uh. but either that or they themselves, yeah, are convinced of it. Both of which are, <laughs> are very depressing. Yes. The state of the modern Republican Party. Yeah. Wow, we've come back to our our universal theme. <laughs> um, but we were talking. Can we talk about China? Oh yeah. Do oh, you want to give a little primer on it? I think you'd be probably more equipped uh -oh. to do that. Can I read the first line? Yeah, or no? yeah, yeah. This. 
Voluntary job training is the reason the Chinese government has given for detaining more than a million ethnic minorities, most of them Muslim. But a classified blueprint leaked to a consortium of news organizations shows the camps are instead precisely what former detainees have described, forced ideological and behavioral re-education centers run in secrets. The documents lay out China's deliberate strategy to lock up ethnic minorities even before they commit a crime to rewire their thoughts and the languages they speak. Listen and to I, this part. I, yeah, this part's important. Yeah. The papers also show how Beijing is pioneering a new form of social control using data and artificial intelligence. Drawing on data collected by mass surveillance technology, computers issued the names of tens of thousands of people for interrogation or detention in just one week. They, if, if these are true, they genuinely used AI to create an artificial justice system. And they did exactly what the tinfoil hat people... Well, artificial ethnic cleansing. But I'm, I'm saying justice system, like, in terms of, like, decide who to lock up. Enforcement system. Yeah, yeah okay, that's, that's a better way of putting it. Like, of who... An artificial let, tyranny. They I mean, let computers decide who to lock up. It's like, it, th- this is... Um, I read uh, one of... Nick. Have you heard of Nick Bostrom? He wrote the simulation argument. Yes, yes. Yeah, he talked about uh, technologies that could end civilization, and one of them is totalitarian... Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Totalitarian enabling technologies. And it it is scary thinking that... Wait, you're going to have to spell that one out for me. So a a technology that enables complete control, like complete despotism from the person who or entity that has the technology so if the government obtains like uh, technology that's able to mass surveil people on a level never seen before and be able to have complete control have complete control like that would be a totalitarian enabling technology so i mean and that's scary seeing how you know we're just we're, we're always whining about data here i mean it's it's being used to lock people up in detention camps. I mean, this is a okay. this is a genocide happening. I'm sorry, I keep bringing you back to this class, but they were talking in this class tonight about how like over the history of like humankind, we have created technology, and I don't mean technology just like computers and stuff. Like they mean just like we have like technology in terms of like stuff to start a fire. Like we cr- we have progressed and developed technology yeah but most of that progression well, has been flat and that's what i'm that's what mm-hmm. i'm about to argue here how naive to think that a computer that these chips were designing processors that they are anything like technology that has ever been developed before especially when it comes to the machine learning and artificial intelligence capabilities of it we have never been able to design anything that is that didn't require us as a component, basically. Like, even machinery, like, yeah, we might make it, like, automatic, but there is human input. This is self-correcting, self-learning technology. And think about, like, how in the course of human history, how much of a, how tiny, tiny of a sliver it is when we're in the age of computation. Yeah. And, and modern day technology. I mean, you can't even go back 200 years. Then you're in 
1820? Yeah. That, that's a whole different world. We live in the fastest growing technological age ever seen. And that carries with it a lot of unknowns. Um, in school, we always reference the Industrial Revolution. Like, that was some, like, turning point. Yeah. The, the exponential growth that started from that pales in comparison to what we are seeing today. And so to, to cast off any uh, apocalyptic fears from this technology as we've always survived human progress before is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it obviously carries a lot of possibilities for changing the world in a positive way. Yeah. But, I mean, it's easier to, it seems like it's easier to get it wrong than it is to get it right. Especially when you're dealing with a technology that's bound to be more intelligent than we are. And how do you even, how do you even set parameters for something like that? And especially when the incentive of innovation when it comes to computers is exactly what we're all afraid of in the first place. Like it is what the market demands, but it's also what we're also all afraid of. Like we want our devices. Were we not talking about Eagle service, our class register yeah. thing? We like, how cool would it be if it just told me what sections were best for me to add to my schedule? But at the same time, like, isn't that exactly what we're all afraid of? It learning how I work. Like, and, and even scary even English. Like, the, the, and then the technologies that governments are inclined to produce are ones that can effectively kill enemies, like warfare technologies. So the, the, the incentives, both on, on the home front and abroad, are, are set, in, set in a way that's going to produce technologies that are ultimately not good for us. Yeah. The nuke is like one example. Yes. Like, for, like we wanted a nuke to make us safe, but it's also the thing we were afraid of other people. And it continues to this day. But like so much bigger than that. Um, like, I don't know. It's just like, like we are developing the the defense. And if there's an AI arms race, yeah. I mean that to me. But that is what the market yeah. demands. Yeah. But but and but this is something that exists both. It seems like it's set to be such a powerful technology that both governments and private industry want it because they both see the endless potential and the endless power you can have with it. And it's like every, it's like at this point, the competition is between individuals who just want all of that power. Tony Stark is totally like it's come true. <laughs> it's these guys who just want to be the guy they want to be the protector <laughs> um ai though like let's get back to the uyghurs oh yes so they are literally using ai to lock people up in the name of well they don't say what it's in the name of but they're saying it's vocational programs these are literally prisons yeah and I'm sure even what's going on there is worse than the documents would even say. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm not sure, but I would well, the, certainly in wager. In the video, she said they went into the black room. Oh. Like, nobody, we don't know what happens in the black room, yeah. but they said everyone's sure they're tortured in there. That's terrifying. Uh, and this is, ha- this is happening right now. Yes. Raj mentioned it for the first time, like, six weeks ago, and, like, I didn't hear about it for a couple of weeks. And, like, you hear about it once on, like, Twitter. It's really outrageous. It's terrifying. And it's all in the name of anti-Muslim rhetoric. Right? What was the... Well, it was the... It was he said he was going to launch a war on terror. A, it oh, was the People's, People's War, war on Terror. terror. <laughs> Where is that? Yeah, there it is. No, you, it's right there. Uh, go down. There it is. Oh. Yeah. People's War on Terror when bombs set off by Uyghur militants tore through a train station in... Oh, no. <laughs> Build steel walls and iron fortresses, fortresses. Set up nets above and snares below. Oh, my God. That's what the president said. That's what state media, Chinese state media, confirms the president said. That's just absolutely wild. China gets away with some wild shit. The practice largely continues today. The Chinese government say they work. What is going on? It's absolutely insane. I mean, you... Like, this is 1984, in a sense. It's a mass surveillance state is this that enforces what... ideology. Is this... They're only getting away with what other countries wish they could get away with. Like, nationalist, far-right, uh, national, or, yeah. Like... Well, this is a, this is a communist regime. That's what I'm saying. Like, they have the means to get away with something like this because of their style of government. But, like, don't you think the nationalists in all those European countries would love this, too? Heck, don't we have our own form of it with the border camps? Not on this level. Yeah, no, true. Totally true. But... But I mean that I think that is important to mention. I mean, like, obviously we have to m- judge the morality of our country based on the country we want to live in. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live in a country where kids are being locked in cages, like in any I capacity. Hope not. <laughs> exactly. And I don't think anyone should want to live in a country like, even if they're not, like you know, American citizens. Like whatever you think about uh, where these people belong, I mean. You, if you think they should be locked in cages, then there's, that's such a non-starter. My thought on it is, think about all the billion-dollar think tanks that exist in D.C. that have entire teams of brilliant people writing immigration policy every day. I can assure you that that is not the best they came up with. Yeah. But... It, there was an intentional guided effort to ignore real immigration policy and steer the country directly and that's to this. scary because that's ideological yeah they they like like th- those people locked up that checks a box for them it accomplished exactly what it was supposed to it's not fixing illegal immigration but it is accomplishing exactly what they intended it to do we talked about this with the tax cuts yeah. everyone says the tax cuts didn't accomplish no they accomplished exactly 
well, those people wanted them to. And it is happening right now with immigration reform. There is nothing comprehensive about this. Yeah, and I, I like what you mentioned, too, about it's an ideological thing, but it's also misplaced incentives mm. for the people at Ground Zero. I mean, their objective is, you know, round up as many people as you can. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's similar to a, a lot of policing issues with, you know, them trying to meet quotas. Yeah. Uh, it's just the incentive is a, a cause for a, you know, more you know, inhumane practices. Think about, uh, it's still going on, but not in the capacity it was. They sent a beefed up, not new, but revamped police force out into the communities in unmarked cars, nowhere near the border, just rounding up people. They, they had data on who was potentially an undocumented citizen and they were just knocking on their doors just ruining that person's life out of the blue talking talk about elections having consequences like those people's lives would have gone they probably could have spent the rest of their life just keep living under the radar contributing to the economic coffers taking home money and giving their kids a better lifestyle than they'd have wherever they came from and like it just got disrupted because of a an election yeah but it also you gotta wonder now that the damage has already been done yeah immigration has become an issue on the left in a way that i don't think it would have been had trump not brought it to the forefront and i think that is an opportunity for in the future when we get a democratic president or a democratic senate or house that can be on the agenda making sure that these people don't have to live in fear that one day they're going to be found out and thrown out of the country and i think that's a good thing because there were people who were living during the obama administration completely totally in terror that thinking that one day they were going to be found out so now now it's the conversation has made it to the forefront. And I think a lot of uh, left-leaning communities have recognized undocumented uh, immigrants in a way that they haven't before and are probably more willing to accept that in their communities. So, I mean, I, I, I obviously the... Pros don't necessarily outweigh the cons here because, again, we have people being locked up in cages with tinfoil, but at least now there's been a spotlight put on the issue. Yeah. Um, A couple of things there. For one, I think it's important to recognize that, like, um, it, it was happening during the Obama administration. People were being deported. And I just don't think that's the way to treat immigration. That is not immigration reform. You know, find those people, sure. But that's not instant deportation. Assess the lifestyle they're living. Are they contributing to the public coffers? Are they committing crime? You know, then then let's help them stay here and, and continue that positive contributing lifestyle. 
other thing that you mentioned um, is that it's it's you know inspired this new wave of activism for immigration and an emphasis on immigration on the left. More than there's a bigger thing there, like an overarching. Trump expedited the rise of a lot of people of color in the Democratic Party, the voices of people of color in the Democratic Party. We were a much more white-dominated party in leadership and elected officials prior to Trump. AOC. AOC, but even, I mean, Ilhan Omar. Mm -hmm. Would that have been possible before Trump? In terms of, like, like, he created a reaction. However far he pulled on the right, we responded on the left by elevating people and giving people a voice. And, like, people of color, and especially women of color took the microphones and like i think that's a bigger reason why immigration reform i think that white democrats it just you don't you didn't win over any part of the white base that way it just wasn't an issue that they had to pander to they didn't there was no polling benefit in talking about it yeah yeah it's (laughs) no i that's a that is a good point and it's just ushered a new area of discourse yeah. that wasn't there before. Um, but I, I am more concerned about people's lives who are he- like people who are here and who just want to contribute to society. And I think it's important just to have like a moment of introspection when you're thinking about immigration, because it really is like when you think about your country and where you were born, I mean, you you didn't choose to be born here. None of us did. And if faced with that situation, like a lot of us, if we were brave enough, would do the same thing. Yeah. And, and we would hope our parents would do it for us. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you frame it like that, I mean, the only way you could the the only way you can frame it in a way that that can that can allow you not to have that empathy is to cast them as people who are just inherently different than us. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's not the way to look at it. Yeah. It's almost like you need to look at those, the pictures from down there oh, and yeah. then think about people, you know, like if you were to see the panic in your community, like if you were to find out that your neighbors had been rounded up like that, that's how the issue needs to be framed. Yeah. Um, and, and it comes back to a conversation we've had a lot lately is that there's so much so out of the norm happening right now that it's hard to keep up. Because of literal human lives being so involved in this one, I think it's one of the ones that does need to stay on the forefront. Like if you can only pick a few certain ones to constantly care about, that should probably be one of them. Well, since, yeah, since he declared war on undocumented immigrants then the response has to be it it has to be equally with equal vitriol because like you like you said like that's people's lives on the line yeah wow so eddie this was this was a very heavy yeah, yeah this is a heavy episode I hope it wasn't too depressing at the end there with the Chinese government, mass surveillance state. But, you know, if if there's one thing to really take from this, 
is it is that we cannot judge them while a less extreme albeit but but still existent version of this is happening here well i think we can judge them but we also have to no, have no that. i'm saying you can't judge it without accepting oh, our own oh too. i see what you're saying like being yeah. willing to criticize our own yeah i mean yeah both of those things are true yeah the the fact is that what the chinese government is doing right now is just pure evil but at the same time what what are we doing <laughs> important questions all right well lucas eddie michelson go walk yourself go walk yourself <laughs> <laughs>